listeners, you're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sarah Cho. And Sam Collier. And today we are talking about the next play in our, um, what are we calling this? Like play of the month club or mm-hmm. book club or something. <laughs> um, anyway, this month we read Sweat by Lynn Nottage. Uh, it won the 2017 Pulitzer Prize for Drama. It is um, a really incredible play that I had never read before. I've never seen it. Um, so, Sarah, should we just start with our first impressions? Yes. I am just kicking myself for not reading this any sooner. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, this is this is my kind of read. Um, and I wish I could see this. I think it performed in L.A. Like a couple of years ago, and it just never crossed my mind. But, man... Uh, truly devastating. I just, oh, by the end, I was just really heartbroken by the play and all the characters in it. I just feel, I, I, every single character, their point of view, I was just like wholeheartedly agreed, like with everyone. Mm. I was just like, I was just on their team. Like every single one of them, I get, I understood exactly where they're coming from and like mm. their pain and their suffering I'm just like yes like it's justified and so to see every one of their suffering kind of intertwine and and just develop in the story I mean by the end I was just oh just crying my eyes out (laughs) that's such a good point about how uh, you were on everybody's side because these Often these characters are in direct opposition to each other, but mm. I think you're right that she does a really good job of making you feel um, like you completely understand and root for every character in the play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's because but you're saying the opposition is not any one of them. It's this, this uh their boss their employer the the factory the yeah the olstead you know like there it's the this and it, we never once meet anyone from that the the higher ups or whatever yeah. you like to call the boss we don't ever meet them and but we understand um the what they are doing to these people just by um the conversations that they're having amongst each other and so it kind of it gives you a picture of like who these this like entity this antagonistic entity that exists um mm-hmm. yeah oof well should we back up a little bit and just say what the play is about yeah um i'm also kind of curious you said this is your kind of read and mm-hmm. i'm like what does that mean is Sarah <laughs> like really sad plays uh do you like plays about like um the invisible forces controlling the lives of everyday mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. yeah um or is it just that there's a crime and we're waiting the whole play to find out what the crime is <laughs> i it it i just i think in any story about like working class like anything a story mm. about where i'm just like a story is about you know people who are like i they you know people want to work they just like want to work and and it's just like when they're not given the opportunity 
Um, or like you see how they're all just like, they're like struggling to survive. And then, and it's not their fault. Like it's just the way the system is set up and how broken it is for people to not succeed at this moment. And then we all, I think we all know who and why. Um, but Mm -hmm. I just like, I think when I, when I read such a great like story or like a depiction and like really makes you want to do something about it, you know? Um, and that's what like this play was, I was like this, it, I'm so interested in like the politics of, of what it means to work in America. Like why such a struggle to work or why it, um, people have such a, or not giving any, given any opportunity that why it's not like an equal footing, you know, like all that mm-hmm. encompasses like, you know, is, I don't know why, but something about specifically in America, <laughs> this country where we keep pushing to be like, Oh, you're, you know, you just work really hard and you'll succeed and people are working hard. And why are they failing? You know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, yeah, well, just, like, so for people who haven't read this play, um, it's really this kind of portrait of this town of Reading, Pennsylvania, and all these people who work at this factory. And um, I think Lynn Nottage, and this is kind of her, has been her process for many of her plays. She went to this town and did extensive research there. She did interviews and um, really wanted to kind of get inside the lives of the people in this town, city. I'm not sure. But um, but she wanted to, to use this town as a, a kind of window into the larger story of economic collapse in factory towns across the U.S. So it, it does feel like it's about it's super specific about these characters in this town, but also feels like it's about the country as a whole in the early 2000s. This play, you know, in 2017, won the Pillar Surprise, premiered at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in 2015, produced off-Broadway, and then it went to Broadway in 2017. So that's pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah. life, this play had a life. Um, so... Yeah, so let's dig into this play. You know, what did we notice um, about this play and, like, what were moments that, like, why did it work so well? Well, um, one thing that I was really struck by was the the story of the generational kind of um, legacy and trauma that is at work here. So... Mm. We start out by meeting these young guys. Well, in the I guess it's worth saying, I don't want to spoil anything for people who haven't read it yet. Well, actually, I don't know. Are we doing spoilers? I think we should. You know what? Y'all read it. <laughs> Just read it. Yeah. If you haven't read it, um, pause this episode, go read the play, and then come back. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. so, so it, it opens in 2008 – and kind of ping pong was back and forth between 2000 and 2008. And so I was really struck by how we start out by meeting 
Chris and um, Jason, the the kids, the young men in this town. And then we kind of rewind and meet these three women and find out later that they're, that two of them are the mothers of these two boys. Um, and, and that as the play moves back and forth between 2000 and 2008, we come to understand the way the, the harm that has been inflicted upon the parents' generation is, um, is also creating this kind of trauma in the lives of the, the younger generation. That it's like they can't escape it. Even the legacy of this factory clo- closing is so violent in the lives of the 20-year-olds. And um, mm-hmm. I, I just found that really... Perfect. Yeah. Um, to the kids, I one of the characters. So Chris, one of the two. There's a moment where he says, "You know, he he's getting ready to go to college. He gone to school, and he was just like, I just need to make the money at this factory during the summer, kind of make it, and then I'm outy. Like I'm out." Mm-hmm. And so the timing of that—that that he was unable this. This one factory, again, was like this life force for everybody, like a, like a second chance, or it was um, just to you know pay the mortgage. You no, know, it was just like everything, and how we learn is like is through that moment of time, scene by scene. I think it goes every. I think it goes by the month or so. I was like the the story is like the way the story progresses is the way the the factory we're learning about this factory is about to shut down or move or like lay off. You know, it's like they're they're sort of this um whatever's going on in this factory is influencing the story in a way, is what I noticed. Right. Um yeah. And I what another thing I noticed it was the eight years. So it starts with two thousand eight but we're going back 80 years, 2000. So that span of like 80 years and, or the, between the two um, years and what she does, what Lynn Nottage does at every scene at the beginning is like provide that little description of historical mm-hmm. event, American history, like what's going on. You know, we there mentions about the um, Bush and Al Gore election and like the the greater recession like there's all these like moments of history that she sort of adds to the scene which Mm -hmm. my brain like living through those years I'm like okay I remember this okay so what wow like this is the 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 devastation like well here's what's happening like here's what's happening to the people or like here's what people are maybe the politics or the point of views are starting to change depending on the moment of time um Mm -hmm. so i just thought that was really powerful the way that she just kind of informed us that way me too and i love how it's a combination of national news and local news Mm -hmm. um there's one point where she'll have a local news story about um three men who were killed in a car accident um, in town. And so, you know, that, okay, that informs 
or they're just like that's probably in the back of everyone's mind mm-hmm. on that particular day and also I thought it was really interesting that she tells us a weather report as well. She gives us the temperature. Yeah. I didn't even notice it at first. And then and then I started to pay attention. Um, and just thinking about how, because it moves from winter to summer to fall, like how mm. um, people people's reactions to things might change when it's really, really hot outside, especially because mm-hmm. it's called sweat. You know, so I'm thinking about temperatures and, and there's a lot of talk about how um, when Cynthia gets promoted and she is gets to work in an office where there's AC, um, that that's a, a clear distinction for her, that she's no longer um, sweating on the floor with her friends. And yeah, so it, it feels like temperature is a big part of the play too. Yeah, thanks, yeah, thanks for pointing that out because yeah, I did notice that. And... I don't like. I don't know about you all, but when it's too hot or too cold, my behavior changes. <laughs> like I'm not <laughs> a very pleasant person to be around when the weather is so like extreme. Sometimes, um, yeah. So, well, it just puts everyone on edge. Yeah. Oh yeah. So not just um, what's happening at like a social level of you know in this town but like the environment the like the physical level it's could be influencing the -hmm. way people are Mm -hmm. behaving i kind of wondered about that so with the details in the stage direction at the top of the scenes like as a director how i wondered would did you imagine like clips of those moments. I was going to ask you that question. Really? I honestly uh, don't know. Because so part of it was like, it just felt like information for like... Um, yeah. But I kind of wonder how this would have been um, done. Well, okay. I have a couple thoughts. Yeah. One, there's a TV in the bar. And so um, I think it'd be cool to play like... Well, Okay. Um, so one one idea is to play some of that like news broadcasts like on mute on the TV in the background of the scene, right? Mm-hmm. Um, another what and then of course what that makes me think of is um, you know it, it's before nine eleven and so a lot of the kind of round the clock twenty four hour breaking news. <laughs> Uh, phenomena that kind of um, kicked into high gear after 9-11 and so it it would be interesting to see just like how TV broadcasts looked different in 2000 but anyway I digress but another possibility is to do like you know I don't know radio news broadcasts in the blackout before the scene Mm -hmm. um starts that seems kind of overused and cheesy though in my mind and then I guess another idea is like well of course you could do newspaper clippings and in a display in the lobby you know while people are waiting to go into the theater Mm -hmm. as like a kind of dramaturgy or in the program I guess yeah um but it does feel like it adds a lot of specific texture to the story because it really was a different moment in this country 
it feels so long ago now. I mean, it was 20 years ago. And um, I think a lot of our ideas about um, where this country was heading, you know, were really, really different. Obviously before Trump, obviously before the financial collapse and Great Recession, and also before the Bush v. Gore election. Like it just, it, that the Supreme Court decision changed the trajectory of this country as well. Um, so I think it is important to kind of root the play in that specificity. How would you do it? I was just thinking, yeah, I, first my mind went for the obvious, like, oh, it's a projection. We'll just pull the clips. Mm-hmm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And then I'll just like, for each scene, I'll do that. Then I also thought about um, the, the, like, the man, <laughs> like, stick it to the man, that <laughs> man. Um, and it, you know, the boss of the, or the employer of the the people in this town, like the, that person kind of just like reciting it, you know, like mm-hmm. oh, so people like come on stage or like in a suit, really expensive suit and just like, and just tell just us, tell us straight up. Like make, here's what's happening. Right. Like, we don't have need to have like any, like, uh, like a setup or anything, but this man just comes on like, but it feels like, like he's in the office. He's like, well, you know, I can love that. Administration, love that. Blah, blah, blah. No, no, stuff like that. Um, Okay, Sarah, so who, which actor would you use to be the man? Or would it be a, a, a different actor who's not playing any of these other characters? Yeah, I think it would be a different actor that's not any of these characters. You would cast a tenth. I was just counting how many characters there are. You would cast a tenth person just for the purpose yeah. of those. Just yeah. to be the man. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's what I would do. Um, would it change at all over the course of the play? The, those um, pre-scene spiels? I don't I don't know actually but I just kind of see coming on with a suitcase opening it up and just being like alright this is what it is kind of like here's what's going on um, mm-hmm. Not like a news report or anything, but like he's like in a business meeting, like that's sort of the feel, like mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're like they're, <clears throat> decisions are being made about these people somewhere, and then so it's like why are they making these decisions? And then so I'm kind of or just maybe like making that point of being like there's this force out there that's influencing um, the decisions, and so. Mm-hmm. That's what I was just thinking of. Um, I keep going back to the year 2000, 2008. And 2000, I was like, I was 11 years old, like 10, 11. 2008 mm-hmm. was about to start first year of college. And mm. so I'm like, that, I was like, wow, that's two different people like <laughs> in my life. It's like yeah. a young, like preteen and then adult, you know, entering into adulthood. Um. So I just like, it's, yeah, I don't know. Those are interesting years, I say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I guess I was, so I was 14 in 2000, and then it was my junior year. 
of college. It's like high school towards the end of college. Well, so one of the things that I think is so interesting about this play is um, there's this recurring theme of addiction. And it's set in a bar, of course. Um, so there's people like drinking and getting drunk throughout <laughs> much of the play. But there's also this undercurrent of addiction. I think, I mean, they, they don't really um, get specific about, well, actually they talk about dope, but it just feels like it's it's a run up to the opioid crisis. Um, mm-hmm. Like we're starting to see the groundwork being laid for this real devastation of towns like Reading um, as people, you know, lose their jobs, lose their health insurance, can't pay the mortgage for their house and so lose their homes and also have chronic pain from doing, you know, manual labor for decades upon decades. And so, like I think Tracy talks about um, having chronic back pain. Mm-hmm. And and so one of the things I think is so artful about this play is that Lynn Nottage is showing us the beginning of the opioid crisis without like hammering us over the head about it. You know, mm. it, it feels like it's all of a piece with the economic yeah. decline of this town rather than you know a separate story there's a moment in the play where that scene when um jason has left uh from prison or he's like on his way to visit his mom and he's like he's gonna ask Mm -hmm. for money and jason goes to tracy and tracy's like this is all i have five dollars you know like this is all i have and I, i came all the way for this like all just this and this is all you have and he's like yeah but can you bring it back to me can you give it back to me tomorrow like she wants that Mm -hmm. five dollars back tomorrow um and that moment there like at this point you know we're seeing tracy just she's completely broken as a person like she because prior to this like eight years ago she was this like very strong will and just kind of commanding kind of force in the bar she was kind of and wanting to she sort of tells it like it is and or she was very um forward about everything but like then to see that spirit be broken into the way she had this like addiction it was that contrast to me was so um, poignant and just really powerful. Um, Yeah. And I think, I, I think there's that kind of captures something about this play too, about um, the sons seeing their parents grow smaller and kind of shrink because as you were talking about that scene, I was also thinking about the scene between Chris and um, Brucey where he's talking about how like, he used to see his father. Um, okay, here it is. Um, he's describing his father meeting with all these uh, union guys at the house. Um, and he says, and suddenly you stood up and for like a second, you looked like another man, bigger, like a transformer. Mm-hmm. 
And when you spoke, everyone got real calm and began nodding. And and he talks about how like proud he felt of his father and how um, he saw all these other men respecting his father and listening to his father. And, and, and now, you know, I guess what's implied is like his father is really diminished in his eyes. Um, and that seems to square with or echo the scene between Jason and Tracy. There's one moment um, where Stan is talking about, let's see, this line really struck me. Um, okay. Um, Stan is talking to Jason and Chris. And this is like towards the end of the play. And he says, nostalgia is a disease. I'm not going to be one of those guys that surrenders to it. Um, and I thought that was like a really interesting line in the context of this play, which mm -hmm. feels to me to be so much about the nostalgia that um, some of the women have for, well, I guess specifically, I, I see a lot of nostalgia in Tracy that she's like um, looking back so fondly on her family's role in this town and feeling like the town belongs to her in a, in a yeah. way. Um, and, but also I think in, in the way the characters think about the certainty that their parents had about their role at the factory and, the, and their retirement and like pulling a paycheck for 30 years. And, and now it feels like everything is um, in flux and, and disrupted and, you know, you can't count on your job anymore. And I think it's so striking to hear Stan say nostalgia is a disease. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering what you thought about that. Oh yeah. There's, there's something that I read about nostalgia. When a person is nostalgic, they're actually, it oftentimes is connected to depression because mm. there's something about this longing or like looking back and when a person does that like um like obsessively you know in a way that they're obviously something kind of going through something like and mentally um so that's like where my mind went was this like I think she mm -hmm. is depressed like and to and but also when she has a drug addiction at the end um that there that that longing is just so um painful to mm -hmm. actually read because of the way she's constantly comparing her life now and, the, and her family life before this like like you know, my was it father, grandfather, like moved here. Yeah, I think her grandfather, and the yeah. craftsman, and like what he's done is actual like talent. You know, there's something about that's about he what he's doing is like talent and uh, like holier than thou kind of attitude. And then like, right. what am I now? Like, what's this? What am I doing now? And then I think there's a moment where not her, but there was a character. Oh, I'm trying to remember, but. Where's this like, what's my purpose? 
there was that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. getting a lot. Oh, I wish I, Oh, here it is. It's Bruce C and Stan on page 37. If you have the TCG, uh, version it's um i hope all our listeners are following along with this episode book <laughs> in hand turning to these pages i know they are um where <laughs> bruce and stan brucey is uh chris's father and stan who works at the bar and they're just t- kind of talking about this time where they uh where stan got injured and they they're just talking about how, um, like, what is all this? <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. this job. They're... Right, because Brucey has been locked out of the, the factory. He can't go back. Yeah, he can't go back. Um, yeah, and so I, it, it keeps, I keep coming back to just this, this factory what this is, what this factory has provided for these people. And I'm just like, is it, why is it so wrong that they just want it to be better? <laughs> like why, why is it so wrong mm. to just want their life to be just a bet, like a better version of what they currently have. And, and, and the character, Cynthia, Chris's mother, she gets promoted in the story. Uh, she, she's mm-hmm. with them and then she they're all up for this like promotion and she gets it and even that promotion is being like tokenized they're like saying well they're getting like some tax break or whatever like if they if she uh, this was I think the most devastating part of the play that she had to be the one uh, like they used her mm-hmm. yeah and she's constantly saying like I'm up there I'm there fighting for you guys like I'm fighting for everyone here because I know where you're all coming from you know like I know but it's also like her hands are tied it's mm-hmm. it's what more can she do um yeah she's caught between a rock and a hard place because if she sticks her neck out too far she's gonna lose her job right completely and if she goes along with you know, they're what they are trying to do in terms of cutting people's pay 60% and laying people off, then she loses her friends. And uh, it's just so painful to see her, you like caught between those two um, choices. And And I also think about what she's saying, like she, she's, down there working with them and like she sacrifices so much for this one shot for this one opportunity to have a better life mm-hmm. and that 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 crushed me in a way that I was just like because like everyone wants a better life like that's just like everyone wants to um no, that it, in the play where she talks about like she like wants to, she she was working from this hot steel like this hot room and now she's like in this air conditioner um, mm-hmm. office like she wants something better like she she like and she earned it like she earned that place but it's like it's almost like saying like how many um, spots are there you know like there's only mm. very few and 
it's not so much like who earned it or deserving at that point. It's like the way they, the way the story is like she, they just needed a, you know, a person of color to fill this spot. Um, yeah. And to, and to specifically fill the spot that like puts the list of people who are getting laid off on the door. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like they wanted her to take the fall so that they didn't have to show up and, and do that in person. Yeah. Ugh. But, but as you're saying this, it makes me think like the things that people want, the things that indicate a better life in this play are so straightforward. Like people just want to be able to pay their bills and like, um, pay off their mortgage and keep the same job they've had for 30 years, you know, and like go on a cruise. Like that, it was interesting that that was the example that kept coming up. I think it came up three times, this idea of like going on a two week cruise. Mm -hmm. That's what they look forward to. It's not like, oh, I want to be a millionaire or, oh, I want to retire early, you know, (laughs) like never work again. It's like, I just want to keep doing my job and make the same amount of money that I was promised. Mm -hmm. And, and that is impossible in this new economic landscape. And I think that's what, that's like the real tragedy, you know? Yeah. And the same way with, so with like the trace or Cynthia is like, this is my one shot. Like, this is my, I earned this place. Like I want to get to that place uh, of, I don't know, like the hierarchy of appointment. I don't know what it is, but she's like up there in the same way. The other character, Oscar, who is mm-hmm. he? Um, so when people are getting laid off and he's like, sees uh, his community center, like all in like a job posting, it's in Spanish and they're hiring um, workers to replace the ones that got laid off. Well, and and also the people who are striking, striking, too, yeah, guess. exactly, yeah, yeah, and so, and then you know, purple calling a scab, and so, but Oscar has his point of view, like, you know, my dad worked, you know, he, I think it was a janitor. I'm trying to recall, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, working as and he wasn't allowed to be part of the union, not part of allowed to be, yeah, exactly, and it's just like I just my like it like his dream is so it's not like I want to be a millionaire. It's just like, I want to be part of that part of that mm-hmm. world, that part of that, that workforce and being paid a little bit more. It's just like only like, it was like two two or $3 more than his current pay at the bar that he was working for Stan. Um, and so like, even that I'm like, it, it just has this like trickle effect of, um, yeah that this factory has created. Um, And the way that Tracy responds to him is, is so racist, you know, how she's like, this is, this job is not meant for you. Um, You know, my family has been working here for decades and you're, you want to like come over here and take our jobs. And he's like, well, I was born here. And um, just this narrative of, that he is like, he's undeserving Mm -hmm. of working in this factory is tied up in also the narrative of coming in at a lower wage so that the company can save money and paying people. Uh, It's just all kind of intertangled and um, 
Yeah, and I just really get the sense. And I think it goes back to your point earlier about how we never meet the bosses and we never meet the factory owners. And it just, it's all these people are caught up in these huge forces that are just, like I imagine, I picture them being in in an ocean current, you know, that like they're just being washed back and forth and around and like can't gain their footing, you know? Yeah. Do you want to talk about the ending? You were saying before we started recording that you gasped out loud. <laughs> yeah, the ending, a huge, um, I don't want to say it's a payoff, but just like uh, this emotional, the ending created this like visual that just encompassed all the emotions that I was just like feeling into this image. And, and, um, I could read it like real briefly here. Um, so it, Jason and Chris have left prison. They're coming back to the spot that now they, after there was just like a traumatic, violent scene that happens, um, that affects everyone at the bar, but there's, so at the end, there's like a little, it's like a little reunion. <laughs> Look, I don't know. That's the best I can mm-hmm. think of, but where Jason, Chris show up at the bar, Oscar, who we just talked about eight years later, he's no longer working at the factory, but he's now the manager of this bar and his former boss or manager supervisor, Stan, no longer is because of this violent scene that happened um, that caused his brain injury and now like he's like mm. working at the bar just kind of cleaning um and so four of there's this moment at the end where all four of them are standing together and this in this in the stage direction like there's apology in their eyes but chris and jason are unable to conjure words just yet the four men uneasy in their bodies await the next moment in a fractured togetherness mm. and that the words those words fractured togetherness is so such perfect description of like what this whole thing felt like is that they're all just relationships are being broken left and right because of um unable to meet those basic needs <laughs> and the right. relationship friendships are just being being broken before our eyes and so this moment together, all four of them together. I just had like had this visual of like, of this is, this is Lynn of like nodding to us being like, well, you know, we, we, we have these like attitude. We imagine these ideas of what American dream is. And this is the current, this is what it looks like currently. <laughs> like a broken yeah. people that don't, um, you know, that are very unhappy or, you know, and don't know how to talk to each other and don't know how to like find their way back towards each other. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that, so I, I'm, when I read a play, I'm always, I look at the beginning and the end, like where did I start and like, how do I end Mm -hmm. up? And I feel like always one of the things when I write a play is like how, where, 
what do I want the audience to take away with? Like what final image do you want the audience to leave with? And so I just felt like the the story that Lynn Nottage told and then this image that sort of encompasses it all, this visual of these four broken people, I, yeah, I was like, wow, this really tugged at me. And I'm like, this is, uh, this is a great image too. And mm-hmm. play in. Well, and I think it was so beautiful too, or just, I don't know, very moving yeah. that Stan, he was the one who took care of people throughout the whole play, you know, like he was always trying to dial down the tension and, you know, talk to people about what was going on in their lives. And like, it, he was just like the the center of the play as this bartender who... And I think he says at some point, like, this is neutral territory. You know, he's, like, really trying to just keep people from coming to blows. And then at the end of the play, he has this brain damage and is not really present. And they all have to take care of him. And and I just and, – and yet, like, they don't – at least Jason and Chris, like, don't really know – how they're so overcome by their shame, I guess. Um, but they don't, they don't really know how to do that. Yeah. Um, and Oscar's taking care of him, but. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so before we move on to glistens, uh, just real quickly, a um, couple questions is, you know, last week we talked about research and like how we mm-hmm. play and I'd love to hear your thoughts Sam about do you f- like how do you feel like research was incorporated in this play that um and what does the word sweat mean to you <laughs> how how come I have to answer both of those, um, both of those. We really gotta die. <laughs> well I think I mean obviously she just did it so masterfully that um it, she did so two years of research went into this play and yeah. it doesn't feel the least bit expositional it feels like a story of human beings yeah. caught in you know the whirlwinds of history but she's showing us what these people's lives look like rather than saying oh you know here's here were the forces at play in their lives and this is why they behaved this way um you know it's just it's such a great um, example of how this can work and I'm very much in awe of how seamlessly her research went into the I'm sure that you know it it took uh, many drafts and many yeah. rehearsals and um, we get to read the final product but it's just so seamless there's an interview and I'll link it out uh, in her show notes but she talks about how this is supposed to be like just a two-week visit to research in this town Pennsylvania but it ended up being like two years she like stayed in this town and going and like talking to people and in that interview she also talked about like you know she's always thinking of expectation like nobody wants to talk to her like nobody wants nobody wants to talk to her they're just going to reject her turn her down but as soon as she like asks and talks to people they're like opening up and they just share all their, mm. their stories with her and this information uh she says and the thing that she says is that why people are doing this and they're so open to it is that for a long time they've been feeling invisible and so to finally 
have someone interested in them and wanting to hear their story and like wanting to know why you know things are happening the way they happen or whatever it is like they just open up and I just thought about that like how just like the invisible <laughs> you know they just have people mm-hmm. who are just not feeling seen and not feeling like their needs like again we said like their needs are being met they're not being met um but yeah I thought that was such an interesting thing that she found or she said in her interview okay you ask me what sweat means mm-hmm. so I'm really caught up on this question of whether it's a noun or a verb um is it like the thing that is produced by being <laughs> hot and working hard or is it like I don't know mm-hmm. uh the verb of um like I don't know actively producing that thing and I, don't, I can't really decide, but another thought that came to me before we started recording was that um, you could also refer to the condensation on the outside of a cold glass of beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know, um, but it, it's like, it's, it's such an interesting title it, because it feels so kind of de-personalized um, and de- uh, like unspecific like it's just um that maybe this thing that all these people have in common Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the summer but it's also so embodied at the same time so it it feels very physical and visceral um you know it's not abstract it's not like uh it's not like of the mind it's of the body and so it it signals to me that this play is really about bodies. Um, mm-hmm. So what do you think, Sarah? No, I, I, everything you're saying is so valid. I'm just like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I, I think what I, when I think of titles, I'm like, how, how do you create meaning for this title? Like how, and I just feel like Lenana, she, this, it's like she, the single word, she just like created this whole universe around this word. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. I think it I also, know. it like makes me feel a little bit like stressed out right from the beginning. <laughs> you know, like, like, just like, like, oh, I feel my heart rate going up. It's like, feels a little bit anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's why it, it, it it's. Even like in the, even like if you're in a, like a sauna, and like you're like this is supposed to be comfortable, this is supposed to be relaxing. You're like when you're sweating, it's because you're putting like a, some amount of stress or pressure on your body to produce that, yeah. this thing. So, yeah, I I I totally agree with everything you're saying. Just everything. Um, I've never been in a sauna. You've never been in a sauna. No. I've been in... Is that something I should change? No, not right now with the virus. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go in right now. Okay, I'll wait till 2021. I'll get vaccinated first. I think it's like just like sitting in there. I wouldn't sit. It just sounds so uncomfortable. It's Yeah, but it just relaxes the, like, all your, the muscles in your body. And so it's like mm. all the, any tension. It's like a, it's, it feels nice. <laughs> it's just... 
it's funny. Sweat kind of seems like the opposite of nostalgia. Hmm. That's interesting. What do you mean? I mean, like, nostalgia is so, um, like, abstract and mental. And it, it just, ha- in my mind, well, like, you were talking about depression. And it just seems like it's um, kind of like a a calm like it's associated with memory and, and yeah. the past and something that is no more. And sweat feels like it's of the present and mm-hmm. like mildly anxiety inducing <laughs> like physical. I don't know. Hmm. I was just thinking about that. Oh, there's a lot to choose. But maybe people get nostalgic in saunas. I don't know. No, I don't. <laughs> I'm like, I got to get out of here in 10 minutes because it's too hot. Um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. um, But yeah, so. Well, you guys, you should read this play and we want to know what you think about it. Mm -hmm. Yes. uh, This play is just. uh, I'm definitely on my top 10 list of my favorite plays now. Mm-hmm. I, I, wow! Maybe five. It might be my top five. This is I. It, I really like this a lot. This play was. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. Glistens. Okay. You go first. Okay, I'll go. First. I'm so excited. Uh, there's like so many things I want to glisten about. Um. Okay, there's two. <laughs> oh, one is. Samantha Irby. <laughs> yes. Sam Collier, who's on the show, if you haven't been listening. <laughs> uh, Sam sent me uh, these books, this gift um, by Samantha Irby, and they're just so funny. I can't, I, her writing is just phenomenal. I am like laughing at every line almost. Like, I'm like, this she's just so funny and i and then i love that you tagged i i posted the photos on my instagram and then you tagged her um account and i went to her account Mm -hmm. and every one of her photos i'm like laughing i know she's so funny first of all i'm sorry that was a two month late birthday present but i guess better late than never it was a great time like i just finished like this long 400 page book and i was like but i needed it was a very i was reading about like schizophrenia and family so i was like i need something light and like yeah sarah you just keep we keep taking in all this heavy material you need something funny i know as someone who writes comedies i'm like why do i keep going to the most depressing dark (laughs) places um but yeah i uh yeah this book is awesome i love it my second is so this week i was like i need to walk every day like i just feel like you know but i feel like before the the quarantine and the lockdowns like i was actually pretty like i was a pseudo gym rat like i was going to the gym and doing like classes like three or four times a week and then wow i didn't know that yeah what kind of classes i was doing like hit classes spinning classes Whoa. I was just doing all these like intense training. I don't know for what, but like, I was just like, Oh, you know, I just, I just want to be healthy. And like, I feel like when you're constantly moving around the city and I'm like, it was like my stress relief, you know, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then to, and then all the gyms closed. I was just like home all the time. And I felt, and I just lost all motivation. I'm just like, I don't really care anymore. <laughs> like I just, I'm home all the time. What's the point? Um, 
but I felt like the impact of it. And so I said this week, I'm just going to walk every day and see where that feels, how that feels. And I walked every day this week and man, my mental state has completely changed <laughs> after one week of walking. Yeah, uh, that makes so much sense. It's like being outside and having some sun, looking at the, <laughs> there's like some trees in my neighborhood and, and then like listening to uh, music and like some podcasts. And I'm like, like, I feel so much better, like being cooped up. And I, I just, I, we're all, we're meant to be outdoors. <laughs> we're just like meant to be outside. Yeah. Oh gosh, I'm sorry for the, all these motorcycles going. Oh, it's by. okay. Yeah, we. I remember reading a couple years ago that the average American spends a smaller percentage of their time outside mm-hmm. than the average whale. It was a specific kind of whale, but honestly, it doesn't really matter. Then a specific species of whale spends like coming up for air. Like we spend more time submerged in our in the inside of our buildings than a whale spends underwater. Whoa, that's not okay. (laughs) Wow. We and and I think it does something to our brains. It really does. I yeah. I I can't even describe it, but just like mentally and physically, I was just. I don't know, feeling suffocated or something. I don't know what it was. It's was like, I just kept my mind just felt sluggish. I felt sluggish all the time. And I just felt, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And just walking just 30 minutes, 45 minutes, like 30 to 45 minutes of your day, just going outside and walking. <laughs> I, it just it's so important to take care of ourselves <laughs> during this time. Um, I know it's so hard. It's so hard because I'm like, um, the virus is out there. And I don't know. What if like a runner just runs by me and he had the virus and I breathe in and I'm like, I die. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, like they're pretty sure you have to spend at least 15 minutes in close proximity <laughs> with somebody to like, pick up I the know, virus from them. I know. So. But yeah. So yeah. So I just, just want to give a shout out to all my walkers out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god okay. all right what's your glisten you're gonna start power walking with weight <laughs> no no i don't like that i'm just I'm not ready for that yet not yet well I'll, I'll check back in a few months okay uh well okay i was trying to decide what to do but i think i'm gonna go with this one which is that i went to the dentist for the first time in four years wow. which i don't recommend waiting that long but you know i didn't have dental insurance just didn't seem like a priority um but I finally went and um it was like not nearly as horrible as I was like imagining in my mind the longer I waited I was like I'm gonna have like 12 cavities and they're gonna yell at me for waiting so long to go to the dentist yeah. it was totally the opposite of that experience oh. they were like you're fine there's one tooth that has an issue um but also the guy who worked on me first lives on a sailboat. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so it was like, I don't know. It just felt like a very magical experience. Wait, wait. Also, I was obviously hesitant to do this because it's the riskiest thing you can yeah. do right now, doctor-wise. But um, Wait, you were, you were on a sailboat? No, <laughs> no, no. No, no, no. The guy, the guy who he he's not a hygienist, but he like uh, he like got me set up and did my X rays of my oh, teeth. Okay. He lives on a sailboat, 
um, year round, but he works at a physical building at the dentist. Oh, office. gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay. All right. <laughs> no, I did not go to the dentist on a sailboat, but like, you know, in Maine, you just never know. It, that could be a thing. You're like, the water's moving the boat. I'm like, okay, we're gonna scan <laughs> you. Imagine, and then they like bump you uh, because of the the wave. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure you're not okay. feeling this right now. It's all numb. I think that could be a really good play. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> uh, I'm, but listeners, you should go if you haven't been for a while. It's probably not going to be as bad as you think. I'm so glad that uh, you don't have 20 cavities in your mouth. Thank you. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, folks, this is the end of our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of us talking about sweat by Lynn Notch. Um, <laughs> and should we say, if you have listeners, if you have plays you would like us to add to our list of upcoming play of the month plays, yes. um, we want suggestions. Yes, we want suggestions. You know where to find us. Um, yeah, so reach out to us. Share, subscribe, do that thing that all you cool cats do. (laughs) Oh, I need to stop. Okay, thanks for listening. Bye.